Emily, do you remember Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room? Boy, do I. Do you remember Disney's Enchanted Tiki Room under new management? I remember it because of you telling me about it, but not like... I never went and witnessed it. Yeah, it's uh, Iago and, and um, Zazu. Zazu, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm realizing WCW missed the trick um, in terms of Disney World, because they used to film at... Oh, like Hollywood Studios, yeah. Yeah. Or what used to be MGM Studios? Yes. Yeah. They should have done the Country Bear Jamborees under new management and just had it be the West Texas Red Texas Red Oh, can you imagine the uh, the bear that comes down on the swing just singing, I hate rap. Oh, they, they just all sing I hate rap? No, they like one sings I hate rap, one sings um, good, old good old boys. Or no, maybe it. she should sing good old boys. It's a female voice. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, we're going to leave Blood in the Saddle. Oh, Blood on the Saddle is a classic. No one can top Blood on the Saddle. Welcome to the Blood Seeds Podcast, episode number 53. It's Fall Brawl 1999. There is no blood on this saddle. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> I don't really know. I'll try to tie it together. I'm Nick alongside Emily. Yep. Emily, how you doing today? You know, I really never know how to answer that because I know like my day was fine. I can tell you about my work, but I know what we're about to talk about and that's just going to bring my whole demeanor down. So in two hours, ask me how I am. Well, Emily, what would we describe as we normally do on this podcast? <laughs> we take a week by week at the slow but inevitable doom, or no. We take a week by week nothing, just a week by week. <laughs> we go week by week through WCW's Monday Nitro and then peek into the pay-per-views of WCW in the late 90s into its early demise in the 2000s and to see how it all fell apart. Like a cookie, it crumbled. Yeah, you probably missed some... Uh... Some notes there, but they got the gist. You know, the impending doom and the slow but inevitable downfall. But I figure let's laugh at WCW and their business. Because it's time for another game of The Price is Right. Maybe just because it's been so long since we did WCW pay-per-view. So, let's go through the the previous numbers first. Last month, Road Wild 1999 did 235,000 buys for the retirement of Kevin Nash. God, that was only a month ago? Yeah. You keep thinking he's going to come back immediately. I'm shocked he hasn't come back yet. Spoilers. Last Fall Brawl did 275,000 buys. Emily, how many buys did this pay-per-view do? 232,000. So just 3,000 less than last month? Yeah. Uh, You would be incorrect. It did 130,000 buys. Oh, yikes. It well, dropped I mean, off an entire 105,000 buys. They didn't really hype it up that much, so I can't really be all that surprised. Yeah. They didn't really hype up any big marquee matches, or the one that they did, it's been booked since the last pay-per-view. So people have gotten excited and then forgotten about it. Well, maybe you're just thinking about the fact of they did Hogan and Sting a few weeks ago on television. Maybe that is what I'm thinking of. And it's just like, okay, I guess we'll do it again. They never really like had a big moment of like, we'll do it again. It was just like, yes, you get a, a title shot. Like, I, you deserve it. When? I, I don't know. I think I've brought this up as an annoyance of WCW before, where they make these big marquee matches and they just do it for free on TV. Like, why would you... Why Why would you sell it on a pay-per-view if you're just going to do it for free on TV? Because they used to get good pay-per-view buys regardless. That hasn't now... happened in like a year at this point. Well, 
Would it shock you that management is finally... Uh... Times they are a-changing? Yeah. Eric Bischoff will be fired after the show. Fuck. Or technically not fired. He'll be sent home. He's still under contract. Sent home. Go home and think about what you did. Basically, go home and just live in Montana for a while. Montana? Yeah. Or the... Does he have, like, buffalo? I don't know. I could see him having, like, a yak farm. <laughs> what are you say? With his wife? Like, really sinister? <laughs> like, yeah. No, I'm just thinking of, like wildlife that's all that's out there in montana right that and hannah but i guess enough about the uh details around this show let's uh get into this show what do you say yeah do we have to i mean we we should actually yes we do have to because at the end of the last episode you said if we don't do the episode we've broken up so yes we have oh, to do this okay, episode. But we're doing the episode we don't need to talk we can just banter for the next hour well, I did How's say work, Nick? I did warn How's people if it's life? only five minutes, like be concerned. It's I mean it's it's nine right yeah, now see, in the we're recording. Fine. Let's just chat. After the edit, it's probably be close to five. <laughs> no, let's let's get into this show. It is Fall Brawl, nineteen ninety nine. Mm. I was listening back to an old episode the other day, and I'm like, oh, this is where I cut in the like opening package, and I guess I could, but it's not super notable. It's just the who do you trust? Who do you believe? It's all about trust and deception and friendship. Oh. And friendship. Oh, wow. I was really ready for your uh, patented break into song with Lion King. No, I remember like when they were playing this whole lineup, or not not the intro package, I guess, when they cut to the arena and Tony Schiavone and the team are kind of like running through the matches for the night. Like, I don't care about any of these matches. None of them are sparking joy or speaking to me or inspiring me in any way i'm just i'm like fuck this is gonna be a hard show to watch yeah it was funny listening back to world the world war three episode and just like you going like i'm basically done with wcw shit it's like hopefully it'll get better oh you sweet summer child well fall brawl 99 is taking place on september 12th 1999 in winston-salem north carolina holy shit it's a cat oh my fuck (laughs) (laughs) Grayson. For those curious what the hell just happened, there's a window right behind Emily, and the cat was just looming. There's a stray cat in our neighborhood that just comes and hangs out. Hey, Grayson. <laughs> he loomed. He snuck, up, he snuck up on me, too, but I was just like, oh, he's going to be too close for her. <laughs> That'll wake you up. Anyway, Winston-Salem the cat. <laughs> North Carolina. So Tony Schiavone, Bobby Heenan, and Mike Tenay are on commentary. I'm learning during this pay-per-view that I have a really hard time deciphering Mike Tenay's voice. I know Tony's, I know Bobby's, but when Mike comes in, I'm like, who are you? And I, I in my head, I'm like, one of them is talking, but like has something stuck in their throat or something. I can't differentiate. Okay, voice. I was just. <laughs> no, I know that is a third voice, but I can't be like, that's definitely not Tony talking. I don't know. So I'm sure a lot of my notes where I'm like, oh, Bobby said, like, I don't know, could have been Mike. Something of note, commentary is wearing black ribbons and various kind of like tribute uh, attire on their persons. Uh, It is for a referee named Brian Hildebrand, also known as Mark Curtis, also known as the shooter. Just one of those super respected people in wrestling who just took ill very quickly and like it was just sudden and he passed away. Apparently Mick Foley and Shane Douglas like went to his house to like be with him, like when he oh, died. Oh wow, Shane like, Douglas. Yeah. Oh fuck. 
And apparently uh, D'Lo Brown like just missed it. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, he's one of those like unsung hero kind of things where it do- he doesn't really make much of an impact on the viewers, but it was just so beloved backstage that like th- those people have stories and uh, yeah. uh, people who just casually watch have, I imagine, none. Yeah. But yeah, that uh, it's it's pretty subtly done. They do, yeah, they they do mention him once or twice, but yeah, it's nice. It's respectful. Well, moving on, let's uh, let's chat a little bit about the set for this show before we get too, into too much, because it's kind of just the logo, which I think I liked early on, and then as the show went along, it just got a little lame. I mean, I guess there are random video screens within the letters of the logo, but. Oh. I disagree. I like the set a lot. It actually looked like they put some time and effort into the design and they thought about how it was going to look as opposed to like, I know we love it because it's campy, but the Halloween Havoc inflatables, I no thought, one thought about those. I thought that was better. Like, no, like they that were inflatables. The beach. Yeah. No, the Halloween Havoc inflatables were cheesy and campy. Well, this actually looks like a wrestling show that they put some thought into. Well, this is just the... You know, 3D printed the logo, which we acknowledged previously is a shitty looking logo. I mean, take this how you will. It's on par with what WWE does in 2022. That's yeah. Again, take it as you will. But <laughs> that might I, they might actually be doing more because it's not just oh look I a mean, video yeah, screen. It's not just a video screen, but in that in the design sense, I don't think that it's. I don't think it takes away. I don't think that it necessarily adds, but it doesn't make it look bad. So commentary runs through the matches, and when they get to the main event, Bobby Heenan points out that, it's like, oh, yeah, there's this whole story, um, but once the bell rings, like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, okay. Glad, glad, glad we focused on that for weeks. Then. Oh, yeah, and they reiterate that twice over with the two people in the main event when they come out for, like, interviews. They're like, oh, but once we're in the ring, we're going to fight. <laughs> okay, I thought y'all were buddies. I thought this whole thing was about, like, friendship and trust. Oh, we're gonna fight! I'm gonna take my shirt off. I'm gonna put brother. Like. I mean, no, it, it's about it's about the title. It's about drive. It's about power. So we got a good amount of matches in this show. Let's get into the first one. It is the ICP and Vampiro versus the Filthy Animals, which consist of Rey Mysterio Jr., Billy Kidman, and Eddie Guerrero. So is this officially the Filthy Animals? Because it's like I thought that. It was Ray Kidman and Conan. Eddie is also part of it, but okay. where the fuck is Conan been? But once they announced who was in this match, I was like, I got my vote. I know who's winning. Yeah. We do get a hype package for this match as well as, well as I want to say, almost every match. There were a lot of hype packages. Actually, I'll rephrase that. There were video packages. None of them got me hype. Correct. Yes. It was like a recap package. Yeah, which a lot of this build and a lot of the build for a later match was just like, here's clips from Thunder. Yeah. But watching those clips, I still didn't feel like I needed to be watching Thunder. Yeah. <laughs> I meant to look, but I I think the ICP's theme is dubbed on Peacock. Yeah. Because it's just very weird crowd noise. That's something that you noticed. I never noticed that. Well, did you notice Ray pulling a hoovy, uh coming out for this match? No. Basically wearing Kidman's gear. Wearing the white tank top and the and the uh, jeans. I thought he was wearing overalls. No, he was wearing a oh. white tank top. He also does have the uh, M&M dyed blonde hair, as was the style at the time. Yeah, it's not a great look. Match starts, and there's some real weird stalling at the start of this. And I guess there's no better time than now to kind of ask the question, what the fuck is going on with Eddie Guerrero and Vampiro? 
Yeah, and the little bit of internet research I did doesn't really give me a straight answer of, like, exactly what's going on backstage. It just confirms that something's going... Something was up. Like, I found a clip of, ironically, Conan's podcast talking about Eddie Guerrero and his different beef with different wrestlers. And apparently Vampiro is one of the only guys that he publicly buried. Who was the other one? (laughs) Kevin Nash. But it was, from what I can tell from the podcast clip that I found, it was just, like... Vampiro found himself to be, like, holier than thou, almost. He was very entitled. He thought higher of himself than anybody else did or that he deserved to be thought of as, quite frankly. And he was just very disrespectful. He was rude. He showed up late, didn't take booking. Like, you know, he was a dick. (laughs) Yeah, well, early on in this... In layman's terms. I mean, admittedly, Eddie's a little bit of a dick during this match. Like, almost, like, sabotagingly so. So I took it as, like, put him in in his place. I think it harmed the match. That's why I felt that way. I mean, early on in this stalling, the faces are just like hyping up the crowd and Vampiro's like, let's fucking, we're doing a match. Like, come on, like get out of the ring. This match starts one-on-one. I don't know what you guys are doing. It's just fucking around. I didn't take that as a bad thing. I just thought it was like character. Yeah. I mean, it was a mix of. Because the ICP was in and out too. I'm... I'm not saying once the action started. I'm saying the bell rang and then the faces were just like hyping up the crowd going on on the turnbuckles. And it's like. Yeah, I'm pretty sure ICP was as well. I think they did it because the faces were doing it. It was like, okay, well, we have to do something or we just look fucking stupid here. But it was a real awkward start with that to the point where we were actually over 10 minutes into the broadcast by the first by the time someone hits an actual maneuver. Yeah. And then after that, the heels decide that they're leaving and then they don't. Yeah, I was I was going to be annoyed if all that hype up and all those 10 minutes were just for them to walk out after one move. I, that that would have pissed me off. We also get a very awkward wheelbarrow from Kidman and Shaggy 2-Dope where it's setting up a Ray springboard move, but they just botched the hell out of it. Yeah, this was really sloppy. Then the faces, Ray and Eddie cheat by both hitting dives without tagging in. And yeah, just overall, the chemistry seems off and I don't really know why yeah especially for the team of ray eddie and kidman like you expect a kind of level of professionalism with them and this made them look really bad and sloppy violent j tags in and works over ray and i have to give them credit as weird as everything in this match was going on i thought the icp did pretty good all things considered i guess they weren't like noticeably bad so i guess yeah i have no complaints with them in this like commentary was doing a weird thing of they just kept going on and on about how like these guys aren't that experienced and it's like no they're about as experienced as your undercard yeah but yeah i thought they did a pretty good job in this and especially considering all the random weirdness with vampiro it was like okay these guys are you know they can hold their own yeah yeah well, while Vampiro's getting the shit kicked out of him by Eddie later on. <laughs> Ray hits a Bronco Buster onto Vampiro and then tags in Kidman. Vampiro then just, like, walks across the ring and just tags in Violent J. Like, no, never mind. I don't want to do this. <clears throat> okay. Uh, I did laugh at Violent J hiding behind the ref to gain the advantage. It's like, dude, you are the biggest man in this match. <laughs> Vampiro manages to powerbomb Billy Kidman, but... Again, something about it just looks off, so it wasn't even satisfying. Like, oh, shit. Like, he gets him up, like, off to the side and just kind of drops. He's like, oh, okay, well. Yeah, I mean. Eddie breaks up the pin with a incredibly stiff-looking dropkick to Vampiro's face. I think this is, I think you had mentioned it prior to this, but this is when I was like, 
Eddie's not fucking around here. There's also a moment where America goes to knock both men off the apron and he like hits Eddie and Eddie just like no sells it. Like he goes like Yeah, he's like a brick shit house. And not even it's not even like a cool way. No. It's, it's just like he hits him like, Oh, that was like nothing. Wow, this guy fucking sucks. <laughs> like ironically he buried Kevin Nash and it just felt very Kevin Nash and I didn't like that out of Eddie. Baby yeah. hits a diving spin kick and Ray breaks up the pin. A little bit later on, Violent Jake tries for a pin, and Eddie just comes into the ring and just breaks it up by poking Violent Jake in the eyes. But the camera didn't really have a good angle on it, so I didn't realize that that's what happened. Eddie just kind of, like, sauntered into the ring with no real gusto to him. And then he just, like, did something, and then commentary would be like, oh, I got him in the eye! Kidman gets a hot tag to Ray, who hits a springboard senton, and then a lion salt. He'll throw Ray into the barricade on the outside, and uh, Ray injures his knee here. I will give it to Vampiro as the match goes on. He really eases up on Ray. Uh, to a certain degree? No, it's very obvious to me that he's like very much like playing nice to him. He's playing nice, but he's not letting Ray go make the tag because... No, because he still has to be a fucking heel. Yeah, but there's a way to do it. Because he gets Ray in the ring and is, like, holding Ray in a headlock. And Eddie has to, like, pull Vampire towards the corner and tags Ray. And it's like, motherfucker. And then Eddie takes some liberties, I think is the best way to put it. Yeah. Eddie chops the living <laughs> shit out of Vampiro and just stiffs him. The nosebleed seats could hear those chops. Well, we'll get into nosebleeds a little after this. <laughs> The match pretty much breaks down at this point. Yeah. We get a top rope gut wrench suplex from Vampiro, who half goes for the pin on Kidman and like gets up to eat a missile dropkick from Eddie. I bet he's wishing he pinned Kidman because Kidman goes for the shooting star press and in a spot lands we haven't seen face. in a while. Well, he doesn't. Kidman doesn't land on his face. Kidman lands on Vampiro's face is the problem. Well, yes. Uh, Kidman's knee goes smashing into Vampiro's face, breaking his nose. Oh, it does officially break his nose? Yep. Oh, my God. It looked like it did. Yeah. Uh, faces get the win. <laughs> Except for Vampiros. <laughs> You're welcome for that accidental alley-oop. Damn, that was good. <laughs> this was just an awkward match. Well, then Ray gets, like, carried to the back, too. In a way, like, the way that he was carried made me think that it was a work. Like, I know it obviously wasn't, but that, when they carry them out like that, I'm like, you're just trying to put it on. Like, this is fake. It wasn't a work, but he won't miss a ton of time. Yeah, I'm hoping these guys are done facing each other, especially if it's going to be on like this. Yeah. I mean, Vampiro did seem a little salty at bits, but Eddie just kind of stooped down to his level. Yeah, he did. I mean, credit to the other four men, especially the ICP. There's a difference between, like, putting someone in their place and just being relentless and eddie was a little relentless in this ruthless maybe is the the term i mean but yeah it was really hopeful that this would be a good first match for the pay-per-view because you know i love the the filthy animals as we're calling them and i always am hopeful when they're in the ring together that it's going to be a good match and this just kind of you know set the taste in my mouth for the rest of the night the only shining light was my notes kept um auto-correcting vampiro to vampire so it looks like i'm just writing Twilight fan fiction in my notes. Yes, that is the only uh, media to ever include a vampire. Sorry, interview else. with a vampire fan fiction. My bad. Buffy the Vampire Slayer fan fiction. The Vampiro Slayer. Let's move on to a very brief WCW.com interview with the Revolution. Brief but load bearing? 
Well, are you also including the first bit where Perry Saturn's <laughs> yeah. like, you're telling me I can download an image of the Nitro Girls? Yeah, fucking pervert Perry Saturn. Can we just not interview the male wrestlers with the Nitro Girls? Because even Billy Kidman was like... Yeah, eh. it doesn't make any of them look good. Eh, I all... jerked off a ton to that fucking <laughs> pay-per-view. It's gross. Yeah, I mean, again, it's 1999 and the culture is different. But still, ew, it's still gross. Because we don't see them tonight, I just found this out as well, looking through some notes. Hmm. Uh, two of the Nitro Girls have heat within the Nitro Girls. <gasps> I don't have a lot of details, but apparently none of none of them like Kimberly or Spice. What? It, it might be the fact that they are the, clearly the two biggest stars. I'm wondering how much of it is. Envy. Oh, my God. Do you know how much I would pay? To re- is there a Nitro Girls book? Is there somebody in the Nitro know. Girls that talks about the Nitro Girls? I would pay top fucking dollar to read that book because that's just going to be girl gossip. And I live for girl gossip. I don't know. Oh, I Anyway, Perry Saturn in this interview guarantees a clean sweep for the revolution. <laughs> remember that. Mm, yeah, remember when I said load-bearing? Let's move into a match that I was surprised made the pay-per-view. It's a Cruiserweight title match between Lenny with Lodi versus Kaz Hayashi. Did you notice how complimentary commentary was towards Lenny and Lodi, like in between the video package and the match starting? Was it all of commentary or just Bobby? Because Bobby actually does a pretty good job of trying to put Lenny and Lodi over during this match. I don't know. It just it, nobody felt like they're like talking down about him. It was it was strange for me because the last few weeks they've you know been talking down and they've been using the Lenny and Lodi matches to tell you about what else is going on. But now they're like, oh, these two guys, they know what they're doing. Yeah, you could you could tell they hadn't done a lot with this because the video package was very minimal. Yeah, I didn't know there was beef between Lenny and Kazayashi. I mean, we saw the one segment. Did we? I don't remember a segment, really. That was it. It was a match. I don't remember the match. Where uh, Kaz somehow pins Lenny, who wasn't in the match. And oh. Lenny was, it was the, for some reason, trying the equivalent of fraternal twin magic. It's like, you need to be identical for that spot to work. But even the Bella twins were not identical. And somehow They're they made pr- it work. I don't know. I guess they're more identical, but, you know, post-plastic surgery when they still tried to do it. Yeah, I mean, well, they, it's better if they started that spot when they were a lot... Yeah, I guess you're right there. <laughs> also acknowledge the amount of fucking glitter on Lenny and Lodi. They are not allowed in this house. <laughs> I noted that Lenny put on pay-per-view levels of body glitter. <laughs> he dressed for the occasion. Yeah, it's it's kind of like how some guys get pyro for uh, the pay-per-view. It's like, he gets glitter. This is his pyro. <laughs> Lodi has a sign coming out that says, nothing good ever came from North Carolina. Which I can't say is not true. I don't know anything good that did come out of North Carolina. I'm going to let you just, you know, talk shit on an entire state. No, there's a comedian that I like is from North Carolina, so I'll give him that. Okay, you got one. You get one. Brick Flair's from North Carolina, by the way, but... uh, I said what I said. <laughs> it's a better state than South Carolina. Uh, as of recording this, Ric Flair's last match has not happened yet. We should talk about it when it does. Yeah. So the match starts and Lodi immediately gets in the ring and I'm like, why? <laughs> and then we get some uh, some fun chants to start, as we'll call them going forward. <laughs> uh, yeah. I don't have anything else to say about it. Let's yeah. just move on from that. <laughs> Lenny then gets Kaz into a sexual position and Kaz scurries the rope like, ew. 
Yeah, a little homophobia happened in this, but then Le- Lenny is doing his skip around the ring thing again. Yeah, which is meant to be the same thing. Yeah, there's a lot of homophobic heat going on here. And then Kaz works over the butt, and commentary tries to be like, no, he's not. And then he absolutely keeps working over, like, oh, no, 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 yeah, he is um, he is working over the butt, which leads but- us into the line of the fucking night. Oh, no. From Bobby Heenan. He's kicking his butt is what he's doing. <laughs> Thanks, Bobby. Bobby Heenan is on fire for this fucking show. Bobby, you legend. But, I mean, Lenny's not doing him any favors because he's selling his ass like it is sore. Well, I mean, if he if he kind of has to. Otherwise, it's just like no sell. He's selling it in the way that someone with a busted knee would sell someone working over their knee. You really want to sell your butt? I want you to crap your pants in the middle of it. Pull a CM Punk. <laughs> Kaz has to dive to the floor on both of the heels. Back inside, Lenny rakes the front and the back of, of Kaz. And then a very homoerotic pin attempt from Lenny draws booze. Do you get a nice gut wrench sit out powerbomb from Lenny? I'm like, where the hell did that come from? Yeah, the thing is, like, they weren't bad. It wasn't bad wrestling when they were actually wrestling. It's the faff around the wrestling that was bad. That's the annoying thing. Lenny can wrestle. Yeah. But that's probably why he's the cru- cruiserweight champion and Lodi isn't. Can Lodi not wrestle? Okay. It's not the worst. He's capable, but... Okay. Kaz hits another dive to the floor onto Lenny, and then Lodi blindsides Kaz while still on the outside. I don't remember what prompted this line from Bobby Heenan, but just the line, if you don't have a nose, you'll have trouble breathing. You should go to medical school. Kaz hits a hurricane rana, but Lenny hits a bulldog. Oh, you know what it was? Kaz did some sort of move that made his nose bleed. Ah. Yeah, he like busted his nose a little. It didn't break it the way like Vampiro did, but yeah, his nose was bleeding. Kaz counters a back suplex, then hits one of his own, and then hits a springboard bulldog and goes for a super hurricane rana, but instead hits a running sunset flip powerbomb. Unfortunately, Lenny is too close to the rope, so Lodi manages to put Lenny's foot on the rope. Then get a diving hurricane rana from Kaz, and he's really trying to show out, but I feel like he hasn't got enough shine on TV to really make me believe he's going to win here. No, I mean, he was definitely doing better wrestling, but yeah, no. Lenny almost gets thrown into Lodi, who's on the apron, but then stops in the two hug. Hug it out. Kaz drop kicks Lenny into Lodi and then goes up top, but gets distracted by Lodi, who's back up on the apron. Lenny tries for a roll up, but Kaz manages to kick out. Shortly thereafter, Lenny hits basically a skull crushing finale, or I think it's also known as the stroke occasionally, hmm. and gets the win. Eh. Woo. <laughs> Yeah, this shouldn't have been a pay-per-view. I feel like, I think if this had been on Nitro, we might have enjoyed it more, but... I mean, maybe, but the way that I'm viewing the pay-per-views is basically just a Nitro with a name. It's not... The the pay-per-views have never been spectacular comparatively to the Nitros, so it's it's just another show at this point to me. I mean, the, the so Nitros yeah, like, have a name. It's called Nitro. I mean, like, Fall Brawl, you big dumb. I mean, that's... Not a good thing that you're able to do that. No, it's no. not. Oh, yeah. I'm not saying in terms of you. I'm saying in terms of the show. It shouldn't no. feel like just, oh, another I've, show. I've had that argument before. Like, it didn't feel like a pay-per-view. And I've given up on wanting it to feel like a pay-per-view at this point because it's just not gonna. Yeah. But, yeah, this was all right. Meh. Yeah, meh. It was entirely fine. Well, post-match in the ring, Mean Gene is there and he brings out Sting. He asks Sting about Lex Luger, and Luger says that like he's like this close to ending our friendship. And he then tells Luger not to get involved tonight. Sting then notes that he has no problem with Hogan until the bell rings. Gene then notes that Sting has the opportunity to become a nine-time champion. 
And um, Sting then grabs the mic and uh, says that he's back. Is he back in black? He is back oh in God, black. Oh, my God, finally. And additionally, it's showtime, <laughs> folks. Uh, your match will be in about two hours. <laughs> Is that better or worse than there just being like one match in between the Mean Gene segment and like the Sting match? I mean, I'm not mad that Sting came out. It was the it's showtime, folks. And it's like, OK, yes, it's showtime. It's time for Brian Nobbs and Hugh Morris versus Shane Douglas and Dean Malenko. Hell yeah, brother. Gene actually does have a good flow here. He ends the interview and is like, and here's a package for this match. Hey, transitions. Love to see it. Yeah. So as said, it is Brian Nobbs and Hugh Morris, aka the first family with Jimmy Hart versus Shane Douglas and Dean Malenko in a no disqualification tag team match, which you would assume means they don't have to tag in and out. You'd be wrong, except you'd also kind of be right. (laughs) This this basically just means they're going to have the regular match they always have. We're just not going to question the rules. So just a regular match. Yeah. But Nick can't go DQ. I can question Shane Douglas, though. <laughs> Fucking Shane Douglas. Because Shane Douglas' new thing is, you know, calling out the town name before they come out and going, are you ready for a revolution? And uh, according to Shane Douglas, they're in Saginaw, Michigan. <laughs> And, and he the, says that loud and clear into a live microphone. Yeah. He does admittedly at least say the actual name before they come out. I'm guessing somebody tapped him and like, what the fuck are you no. doing? <laughs> and, and then on top of it, I don't think it was for that, but he goes to fist bump Dean Malenko while they're on the ramp and Dean just blows him off. I still think of Shane Douglas as that kid that got invited to sit with the cool kids at lunch once and ran with it. And now we'll not leave them alone. Yeah. (laughs) Dean Malenko, once again, does not look like he wants to be here. Oh, I think we both noted when they were coming down the ramp, these are not two guys that look like they're about to win a match. Yeah. They look tired and haggard and wanted to go go home, basically. They look like two men who are trying to start a revolution and are told, hey, you're about to lose to Brian Nobbs and Hugh Morris. (laughs) Happy revolutioning. So all four men start brawling, and then it's like, yeah, I figured from there, like, we're not going to do any tags. Uh, Dean low blows both men early on, and then Douglas hits one as well, and I'm like, all right, so did you, whatever. Yeah, it's fine. Douglas has the crowd hold Morris so we could hit him in a cute little spot. Yeah, that was fun. Like holding him up against the barricade so you can punch him. We then get some messy brawling. I wrote, this is disjointed. They all just kind of trade weapon shots and low blows. And this is where I know it. I'm like, oh, okay, now they're on the apron. Because now they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to do a regular tag match and do tags and all that jazz. The crowd was pretty into this, though. This was a live crowd for all intents and purposes. I mean. I disagreed. Yeah? Yeah, I mean. I thought, like, overall they were pretty hot. When they were brawling around them, they were. But once they were back in the ring, I think the crowd pretty much died to death. I don't know. I just I noted it in other matches too that the crowd was way into it. Yeah, it's a s- weird mixer in this show. Uh, Douglas ends up going to Pity City with Brian Nobbs, and there's really nothing terribly interesting going on here. Though Douglas does hit a neck snap in the reverse direction, and it looked rough. Mm. Faces clear the ring, and then we slow things back down inside. And I don't know where it is, but Douglas hurts his elbow here. I thought he got injured. He has like a torn tricep or something. Jesus, there's a lot of injuries in this pay-per-view, and we're only on the third match. 
Nobbs hits a real rough looking flying nothing to himself. It's like, Jesus. Like, Douglas gets his foot up, but I think it's that Nobbs doesn't really jump up a lot. So he just like plants himself right into the yeah. into the boot. Like, it's hard to say Douglas stiffed him there, but he somehow did. <laughs> Dean gets a hot tag and the crowd doesn't really buy much into it. Uh, Morris hits the no laughing matter on Dean and gets the pin, even though Dean's shoulder was up. Oh, yeah, you did go back and double check that. Another nothing match? Commentary did even note at one point during this that they were amazed how tame this match was for a no DQ match. I mean, a lot of the build for this was on Thunder, so maybe the guys just didn't feel the energy. But what was the point of making this a no DQ? Yeah, if you don't feel the energy, just do a standard tag match. The point of it being no DQ is that they had done this match on either the last night or the one before, and then they just all brawled up the ramp. Actually, it would have had to have been the one before because the last one was the Battle Royal one. Hmm. There was just no reason, feud-wise or otherwise, that this had to be no DQ. Yeah, and, like, it's not a hot feud. Even in the like choreography, for lack of a better term, of the match, there wasn't that many spots that warranted the no DQ status. A couple of low blows, but... a lot of spots in general. Exactly. Like, Then why did we need this? If you're going to make it a no DQ match, make it a no DQ match. Well, ironically, the match that I feel like should have been no DQ is our next match, which is Rick Steiner versus Perry Saturn for the TV title. Because yeah. this whole thing has been Rick Steiner is just roughing up fuckers. And That's it's like, true. Yeah. Feud-wise, yeah, it would make sense. But for a match, it doesn't really need to be. We do get a video package for this. Because, of course, we do. Match starts. Steiner works over Saturn until Saturn hits a dive to the outside and manages to gain some control. And then commentary drops a little nugget of information. Yeah, this has become, this is, is now, it was a very slow start, and it became the match the commentary decided to just talk over and tell us stuff. Yeah, apparently Buff Bagwell hasn't arrived at the arena yet and basically won't be doing his match. They're a little coy about the second half at first, but eventually they do say, like, yep, there is a replacement. We don't know who. Yeah, they're like, Buff isn't here yet. He might be here, but if he's not here, we have somebody else to take his place. Which is just weird in general. We'll talk about that. Okay. We get a decent German suplex from Saturn, but then Steiner uses the ref as a shield and then low blows Saturn. Steiner slowly works over Saturn on the outside and peels up the mat like, to expose the concrete floor, hits a DDT, and it gets no reaction. Nobody cares. I mean, it doesn't help that they don't really sell it like, oh my god, he's dead. It was like, okay, well, back in the ring. No, because if you're watching it, it's so clear that none of Perry Saturn's skin touched that concrete. Yeah. I mean, the man's wearing the undies. None of his skin? Literally none of his skin. He, like, Rick dropped for the DDT and Perry bounced onto the mat. <laughs> back inside, we get a German suplex to Saturn, but it only gets a two. And, and then Rick Steiner threatens the ref. And <laughs> this is followed by... One of the saddest looking single leg Boston Crabs I've ever seen. It's a real weak looking hold. Oh, it's so sad. Saturn then tries to get the crowd going, but the crowd doesn't really get into it. And additionally, once they're not into it, he literally just reaches like like 18 inches forward and grabs the rope. 18 inches is generous. I mean, like... Perry is trying to, like, hype up the crowd. He's banging on the mat, like, it's so hard, you know, clap for Tinkerbell, bring her back to life. And he just kind of, like, where his hand is to to, to pound it down, he just lifts it a little bit, and it, there's the rope. Like, I feel like you reference Tinkerbell on this podcast often. Do I? Yeah. Huh. 
I just like the analogy that wrestlers are like fairies and need need um they need applause to be alive. Who's that Pokemon? Perry Saturn. He's a fairy type. <laughs> He's Clefairy. We then get two belly to belly suplexes from Rick Steiner. Two belly to belly suplexes from Steiner, but Saturn manages to hit a second rope drop kick, springboard elbow, and a T bone suplex. Steiner catches Saturn out of the air and slams him with a nice power slam. Shortly thereafter, though, Saturn manages to hit the Death Valley driver to a bit of a reaction, but Rick Steiner kicks out. It's a good kick out. It was real yeah. late. It was like, oh, like that's, that's his finisher. I that, yeah. Steiner counters a second Death Valley driver and then goes up to the top rope. Saturn tries to stop Steiner while he's up top, but Steiner manages to hit the Steiner Bulldog and gets the pin. Again, meh. This was a really boring match for me. Yeah, the crowd did not care about this match. And personally... I don't think it did Saturn a great job of looking like he's in Rick Steiner's league. No. I mean, the Death Valley driver I'm torn about because it did look like, oh, shit, he almost had him. But then he kicked out and the rest of this match very much was Rick Steiner's in control. And that's yeah. the story. And this is now 0 for 2 for the Revolution matches. Yes. Talk about a clean sweep. It's a clean sweep. Yeah, and just uh, just to verbalize, Chris Benoit will be facing the man with an undefeated uh, streak going on, on later. It's clean sweep. We then go backstage. Mean Gene wants to talk with Hulk Hogan, who just seems to be generally annoyed. And Hogan reiterates his face gimmick in that he has children. He talked to his son. I would never turn on you, Nick. Nitro Nick. He then also does the Hulk Hogan thing where he doesn't understand how to be a face because he's like... If I didn't want to face Sting, Sting wouldn't have made it here tonight. It's like, all right. So you're saying that you would commit murder? Well, not quite, but... Mm, that's the vibe I got. Yeah, Hogan pretty much says that he's pissed off at, at everyone for doubting him, including Gene. And Gene's like, I'm literally just doing my job, man. Jeez. Hogan then swears there'll be no backstabbing. And I think this is the moment where I'm like, okay, Sting's turning heel. Yeah. I yeah I was I joked last episode like oh is it gonna be Sting texted himself and I'm like <laughs> earlier Sting said Luger you better not come out here and Hogan's basically like yes I'm not turning heel. Mm-hmm. Like, Hold what? on, do it. Well, the only other option here was Bret Hart. Like that was the the only other option if someone's leaving here as a heel. But again, we talked about like they're not gonna turn Bret Hart heel after the year he's had they shouldn't i didn't say they, they shouldn't won't. i don't feel like people want to boo bret hart right now no back at commentary they re- they reiterate that buff still isn't here so berlin is going to face someone else berlin then comes out and uh we get some questionable sideburns on him yeah his whole he has a mohawk but the whole sides of his head are fully cleanly shaved but he still kept the little rectangle of of sideburn like, what's the point there? So let's talk about Buff Bagwell for a second before we talk about who's good to come out here. Let's do it. So Buff Bagwell apparently just signed a new contract and decided, uh, you know what? I don't want a job. I mean, understandable. No, it's literally your job. I mean, if you don't want to look like a jackass, you know. We literally acknowledge that, like, all right, if Berlin doesn't win, he's dead here. And it's like, okay, Buff just wants to kill that career then. Yeah. I don't know when he first made this known, but uh, apparently his replacement was not aware that he'd be wrestling until a few minutes before the match. 
Oh, that explains a couple of things. Obviously. Yeah. 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 So I don't know if Buff was playing hardball or what, but he decided, no, nah, you know, I don't feel like losing. So I'm wondering how lo- long before commentary said Buff didn't make it here in time. Did Buff decide I'm not doing this? So if if the replacement didn't know that was going on until just a few minutes prior, I think commentary was being truthful when they're like, he might make it. We don't know. Yeah. Maybe they, they just didn't know what was going on. They're like, he's just not here yet. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. The replacement turns out to be Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who admittedly I forgot was under contract. This was giving very much 1980s WWF wrestling. Good guy, all American, defeats or goes against big bad German man. Very 80s. Yeah. And when you said this, we were watching it and I agreed, but not in the way you meant. Because I'm like, ooh, this match feels uh, straight out of the 80s. In that it's bad. In that it's slow and Jim Duggan doesn't really want to sell. But the crowd is into it. Oh, the crowd pops massive for Hacksaw. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I did give it, like, because the crowd was so into it, I think they kind of sold it to me a little bit, to the point where I thought, like, this is probably a better match than Buff would have given had he shown up. I don't know. It, it It's a different match. We'll talk about that at the end of it. Duggan clears Berlin from the ring, and Berlin regroups. Duggan then works over Berlin, and Berlin begs off like a little coward bitch. It's like, oh, good. We were talking about this during the match, especially if Jim Duggan didn't know he was going on. He didn't have time to, like, learn the character of Berlin. Well, you should be watching the product. Yeah, right. I don't think he was. I just don't think that he knew that he was supposed to put over the big bad German. Yeah, because he also doesn't really sell for a lot of Berlin's offense. That's what that it makes more sense that he didn't know he was going on. Yeah. And additionally, it gets real sloppy real quick. And then it looks like. Duggan is like doing shoot amateur wrestling on him and Duggan's winning. And it's like, Oh, yeah, this doesn't look good <laughs> on the outside. The Berlin's bodyguard, AKA the wall removes padding and then clotheslines Duggan who lands on it. Wait, hold on. His bodyguard's name is the wall. We, we've already talked about this. Have we? Oh yes. God. I think I erased that from my brain. Every time you say it, ask me again next week. What well, they is. haven't called him that yet. So I just know okay. he becomes him. Uh, the ref seems fine with this clothesline by the way and this clothesline where he lands on the concrete just kills jim duggan Mm. back in the ring we get a rude awakening type neck breaker from berlin who had a real hard time getting duggan to turn around for it yeah and berlin gets the win he fought hard for that win (laughs) berlin puts on the shades before heading to the back in a spot that i liked but uh this was a bad match this could have been a really fun match this was potentially a character killing match berlin does not look impressive here no he does not we'll see what happens with berlin moving forward because inadvertently buff may have killed berlin's character just by not being there yeah but yeah i did i did not think there was a way where berlin would win and then like oh yeah this seems dead in the water but they managed to do it did it leave it to wcw to find a way we then cut backstage and Buff is now here and gets yelled at for being late. And they're like, for once in your life, be on time. <laughs> he then goes out to the ring and embraces Jim Duggan, who pushes him away. It's like, yeah, no, does not no, want to hear fucked it. fucked up, dude. <laughs> is that Duggan just going, you couldn't have fucking decided earlier? <laughs> <laughs> couldn't have given me a few minutes? <sighs> yeah, I, 
I don't know how much Jim Duggan will f- continue to be on TV after this, but oh, I we'll doubt it all. I doubt it. Let's move on to our. I have no idea what number match of the night. We got a few left. But do, okay, sorry to cap off that last bit. Did you notice that, like, as soon as Jim Duggan pushed off Buff, they just immediately cut to commercial? Like, what was the point of Buff coming down to to the ring? I don't know. It's pacing issues. I know, but like the entire segment of Buff in the production van and coming down there, what was the point? I think it was just meant to be like, look at what a good face Buff Bagwell is. He so wanted to wrestle. He's disappointed he couldn't, and then went out to go embrace the men who wrestled for him and put out a good effort. I think it was just meant to make buff look good and it did not succeed in that if i was eric bischoff or whoever was backstage i wouldn't have wanted him to go do that because i'd be pissed at him well eric bischoff again is not making great decisions and no, will be but they, for that. they only had the five or so minutes that that match went on to come up with this plan yeah if we're going with the known story or whatever like just don't have him that's the easy answer here have commentary riff for two minutes how pissed would you be if you're Eric Bischoff, where you literally just, hey, we're happy with your work. We want to sign you to a multi-year deal. And the first thing he does afterwards is, you know, that doesn't really work for me. Fire him. Yeah. I would fire him. Considering. I throw you a bone? Fuck you. No. Considering the fact that WWF gives Buff one match and then fires him, it's like, yeah, they would not have kept him. No. I do find it interesting that refusing to do stuff like that does not qualify as breach of contract but i'm i don't in, like the well, like, I, like i mean like it's happening now with sasha and naomi i think that's a really interesting like we could get into like contract law almost with that because i'm wondering if either a the contracts are just poorly written to not include that or b they intentionally don't include that kind of stuff because they might want to feed it into potential character work the contract does read McMahon, but the contract reads Shane McMahon. I don't know. I'd be interested. I'd be interested to read what a WWE contract looks like. Hmm. Or WCW. If someone can find a WCW contract from the 90s, I would be fascinated to read that. So let's move on to... Um, I, we got, I only got a couple matches left. It's the next match. It's the West Texas Rednecks, aka the Wyndham's. Versus Harlem Heat, a.k.a. the T's. The T's? Yeah, Booker T, Stevie Ray T, right? I <laughs> <laughs> uh, got a quick video package for this. No Curly Bill out with them. Which, by the I way, did notice that, and it's also Vincent. He will be advertised for a match as Curly Bill. Why? Because they don't know what to do with what these is guys. His tr- what is his actual Lord-given name? His name is Michael Jones. So... Okay, where did Vincent come from, first of all? Second of all, where did Bill come from? We need to start with Virgil, because that's where this starts. Okay, where did Virgil come from? Virgil is Dusty Rhodes' real name. So, ooh, we have this this manservant character. Oh, it goes so deep. So, you get how they get to Vincent then, right? Vincent Kennedy McMahon? Yeah. And then Curly Bill is the name of, like, an old outlaw. We looked, looked it up last episode. That is how I will call him Curly Bill. If he comes out to the ring and says, this town ain't big enough for the two of us to one of the rednecks and it starts a feud, then I'm in for Curly Bill. Get in your stable. He is in my stable no, and the door do is latched and locked. He, he will charge you $10 every day. Just for... for I, a, I would have to pay him rent for him to stay in my stable? Yes. <laughs> 
for for him to appear, you know, give me a tenner. So before the match even starts, Kurt Henning is like on the apron, like waiting to hit Harlem Heat with a cowbell, and they spot him. Like, what the fuck? He's like, oh no, nope, not doing a thing. No, it's fine. Booker starts his match. Things st- and things start up tempo. Got a nice double suplex from Harlem Heat to Barry Windham, and then uh, things slow down because Stevie Ray's in the ring. I really don't have a lot to say about this match. This is another yeah. one that I just found incredibly boring, which is very upsetting. Booker tags in and tries to get the crowd back into it, but it's a tough task at this point, especially when they weirdly botch an interference spot where Kurt Henning was supposed to do something. He had the cowbell, so I assumed that would come in in some way. Yeah, I mean, he has it at a couple points, but it was clearly meant to be a ref distraction or something, and they just completely didn't make it work. We didn't get a scissor kick and a spin a Rooney to Kendall window, and I also laughed at... Booker T kicking Kendall and then, then be like fucking bend over for this spot, motherfucker. Yeah. The Wyndham's aren't great. Barry tries to knock B- Booker over, but seemingly trips over Kendall Wyndham. Oh and God. I guess the breeze knocks Booker over. <laughs> the air conditioning kicked on. <laughs> Booker then turns a corner vault into a nice twisting sunset flip. And goes to tag Stevie Ray at, some, at one point where... Barry Windham has them all locked up, and the ref misses it, which is a common spot. But I think it's been this ref before. I hate this ref. I need to learn his name. Yeah, I think you've said this before. But he's just so he's just so insistent and blatant with the tag interference spots. Like it just removes all subtlety and mm. to me believability at that point. Like, I'm aware the spot is the heels are cheating, but you as the ref, if you see it, need to call it like a shoot. Like, no, 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 no. Like, you need to admonish them. If you see something, say something. Exactly. It's never been this extreme, but the ref will, like, see two men working over Stevie Ray and then Booker try to come in to even the odds. Like, whoa, Booker, you can't do that. Hey, pal. Remember the draft, like, two weeks ago when Dean Malenko came in and was like, dude, fuck you. I'm coming in to save my guy. Cause, coming in? Yeah. <laughs> Get them, get some slow action, and then we get an identical ref miss tag spot. Like it's done the exact same way. It's another one of those where he has to look away, like because that's the spot. But like, yeah, you need to be in a spot to be distracted if you know that's coming. This match really just fell apart. But him missing the tag is part of the finish. Yes. Because everyone starts brawling right then, and it turns into a mess. Uh, inside Stevie Ray gets hit with the cowbell by Kurt Henning, who accidentally gets knocked off the apron when he hits the cowbell shot. Oh yeah. He did not like intentionally fall. He did, he, like, he did not plant himself because no. <laughs> Kendall more or less goes for the pin there. I think he might hit a DDT as well. And Kurt Henning goes over to work on Booker. Booker then fights off Barry Windham and Kurt Henning just casually in the background of the shot because Kendall Windham's going for a pin the ref's like, no, it doesn't. You can't pin him because he's not a legal man. So he, Kendall's like, what? And then gets hit with a missile drop kick, and Booker gets the pin. And Harlem Heat are the new tag team champions, as it should be. I yeah. mean, this is a bad match, but like the Harlem Heat should be the the tag champions. Yeah, it was a little bit of a weird story of them losing, like during the build, and then just winning it back this yeah. month. Like they didn't lose it for long enough. But the fact that the West Texas Rednecks had it at all, it just felt wrong. I think Harlem Heat won it at the last paper, which is Road Wild. I want to say they won it there. 
You might be right. I don't know. My my timeline for these pay-per-views and events like that are so, it's so skewed. Well, I mentioned we mentioned earlier that I was I was listening to the World War 3 episode which was last November. They started teasing Harlem Heat getting back together in November was it of 98. Yeah. Oh my god. Booker saves Stevie Ray from a beatdown. Oh my god. They didn't tag back up until like August of this year and I'm like Jesus. And admittedly i was like jesus because i'm just waiting for booker to go back in the singles you know realm yeah as much as i like i like the idea of harlem heat stevie ray is really holding booker t back yeah harlem heat was good when booker was still growing as a wrestler he does now feel grown he grown yeah match itself again oh yeah very very meh memory does your meh continue into this next match this is one of those matches that when I told you I was uninspired by the lineup, you're like, oh, you're not excited for this match? No. <laughs> I think it had a chance. It's same old, same old. Been there, done that, seen that. The match itself is Sid Vicious versus Chris Benoit for the U.S. title. And uh, coming to this match, Sid is 79-0. and 0. Once again, for the record, uh, Goldberg's record was 173-0. and 0. And you keep saying, like, we're going to wait until Sid gets closer to Goldberg's number. If that's the case, and this is the pace we're going at, because it's pretty slow, we're going to be doing this until the end of WCW. The problem is that Sid got, like, 60 or or 65 in the span of, like, three weeks. And (laughs) then it's been like, oh, yeah, no, no, like, one at a time now. Right. But then he's like, I'm coming for your your streak. Like, you still got 100, my dude. Yeah, also, is Sid not working house shows? Like, (laughs) Yeah, right? Or is he just losing there and they don't count it? Maybe. Match starts. Sid throws Benoit early on and Benoit seems like surprised. Like, oh, okay, shit. I didn't realize he was that strong. (laughs) That's going to be a problem. Sid jaws with the crowd a lot early on, which just kind of leaves Benoit to stand around. Benoit manages to get Sid down by focusing on the legs. And I'm like, okay, smart tactic. Good. Big, tall man. Go for the joints. This prompts big Goldberg chance. And I'm like, oh. Uh. I can't really blame the audience for chanting because, like, I'm bored and at least Goldberg would do something. The problem is, no, he wouldn't because Goldberg refuses to come out during any of these Sid Sid segments. No, I'm saying if this was a Goldberg match, something would be happening. Sid moves so fucking slow, man. Benoit gets Sid's leg between the stairs and the ring post and then drop kicks the stairs twice. He's like, oh, that looks sore. Benoit then tries his cross body but gets caught. He just managed to get out and hits a German suplex onto Sid, which I thought was nice. Yeah. I mean, it's same shit, different day. I'm sorry. I feel like you didn't want to like this match. No, I, I I, don't like Sid. That's the problem. And once I decide that I don't like a wrestler, it's very hard for me to like one of their matches. It's not impossible. It's happened before. Sid goes for a, a crucifix pin, but then Sid just holds him up and drops him right on his back. Sid then locks in a Cobra clutch and then slams Benoit. Benoit manages to gain the advantage again with a drop kick to the knee, and then Benoit actually manages to lock in the crossface onto Sid. That did manage to pop the audience. Oh my god, yeah, the crowd was very hyped for this. The crowd just loves Sid, and I, again, I don't get it. I think also you do want to see Benoit beat Sid. Oh, I would have loved to have seen Benoit beat Sid. That was never going to happen. Sid lifts Benoit up while still in the crossface, but then collapses, but Sid's foot is a little too close to the rope when he does. I will say I did like Sid kind of powering up while in the crossface. I did think that was a really cool move. Benoit kicks him down and then signals for the diving headbutt, but Sid moves. Sid then hits his powerbomb and gets the pin. New U.S. champion, Sid Vicious. 
with a record of 80 and 0. Yeah. I liked this match. I didn't think it was five stars, but I thought it was like three. Okay. To each their own. I, again, found it quite boring. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was a good story of Benoit, you know, chopping him down, trying to get him down for the crossface. And, you know, he kind of deviated from the game plan a little bit with the diving headbutt and it cost him. Yeah. I did not find this captivating. The only the the one move with the crossface was really cool. I will give it that. That was really fascinating. That was different. I haven't seen anybody power out of a crossface like that before. It was cool. Everything else was kind of like oh, okay. Yeah, I am hoping the Goldberg feud is next because um, mild spoilers for the next match. It just it feels like both men don't have anywhere else to go other than at each other. Yeah, I agree. However, the next match I did think had the most promise oh yeah like of all the matches on the marquee if i had to pick one this is the one that i was excited to watch. i don't think that's a bold statement no. considering we've seen this match on that's our first podcast problem. and it was like oh, yeah that was a good match same shit different day i mean there's only so many combinations of guys I, hire more guys fire the old men get kevin nash out of fucking here get get, get hogan out of here get the old men out of the ring this match is Diamond Dallas Page versus Goldberg. Get a video package for this. Not too much a note. We then see Goldberg walking backstage, which I feel like it's been a little while. It has been a while. It was nice. <laughs> right before the bell rings, the ref goes to check DDP for weapons, <laughs> and DDP gets caught with one thing, and then just <laughs> everything else just spills out of his sleeves and tights. And It's like a magician like getting yeah. checked at security and trying to pull the... The, the scarf out of his sleeve or something and it just never stops oh yeah. my god it was great he like lifted his arm and all these coins flew out it was so campy and like carny i loved it ddp tries to get technical but goldberg just powers out of it like no that will not work ddp bails the outside grabs a mic and says if you people don't ch- stop chanting goldberg i'm out of here which they were not chanting Goldberg, but that, no. they, that did make them chant Goldberg, so props to him. And so he was out of there for approximately 20 seconds. Well, at least Goldberg goes to get him as opposed to him going, oh, wait, no, actually. The issue I took with this bit, they brawled in the audience for about 20 seconds. In WWE, WWF, they have done that spot where they go out into the crowd and they brawl in the crowd and they go up and down the aisles, whatever, and it gets the audience really, really hyped and really into the match. I wish they had done that with this. Okay, see, I thought you were going to say something else when you said 20 seconds, because you're like, my note is, a count out is 10, you know, seconds counts. I don't care about the technical, I care about the showmanship. If they had stayed out in the crowd more longer, also, fucking, hold on. I have asked you about that before, and you're like, as long as it's mutually accepted that they're both still in the match, they're not going to get counted out. You've said that to me before. I think it's that for like title matches. I, it's it's such a weird rule, but like for the showmanship of it, if they had gone up and through a section of the crowd, I think it would have been a lot more fun. This just kind of felt like a tacked on moment, and it didn't it didn't really have the like the brevity or it didn't have the weight that it should have had. It should have been really cool, and it wasn't. Yeah, they go back inside pretty quickly. DDP tries for a diamond cutter, but gets hit with a power slam. In a great spot, DDP managed to simultaneously low blow Goldberg and poke the ref in the eye to have him avoid seeing it. And I'm like, yes, professional. Professional man. 
He then hits Goldberg with the like brass knuckles or whatever else he had in his tights. Yeah, we never really got a clear look of what it is. So we just kind yeah, of yeah, they, they do that often. I don't get why. Yeah. What are you hiding? Hmm, something in his in his tights and his dick. I don't know. I'm saying WCW. What are you hiding? Oh, it's probably not anything like actually weapony. It's probably like a piece of plastic. DDP toys with Goldberg and manages to use whatever that object is again. And then locks in a headlock and DDP manages to keep sneaking his feet onto the ropes for extra leverage. The ref drops Goldberg's arms twice, but on the third one, would you believe it? Goldberg hulks up. What? Goldberg powers up, but DDP hits a diamond dream and it only gets a two. In a spot the commentary kind of misses, DDP goes for a spear, but Goldberg catches him and turns it into under underhook suplex. Mm. The commentary like, really didn't note it. Like, that was, he was going it for was a spear cool. there. But I'm saying more like going for Goldberg's move. The triad then come down and Canyon breaks something over Goldberg's head and shoulders. Like a dish of sorts? Yeah, we couldn't tell. I thought it was plastic. You were saying a sugar glass. I'm like, no, sugar glass would shatter more. This this broke into, like, sharp pieces. Yeah, I, I don't know what it was. Yeah, because Goldberg ends up, like, bleeding from his shoulder at a couple points. DDP hits a Uranagi, but it only gets a two. DDP distracts the ref while Canyon and Bam Bam Bigelow come in. Goldberg hits a double clothesline on them. The ref seemingly pushes DDP into a spear. Yeah. <laughs> Goldberg then hits a jackhammer and gets the pin. Much more interesting match than the previous match. Yeah, this was... Light years better. This is a fun match. It was a pretty good match. Yes. Uh, again, not as good as the first time we saw it, but Giving this me was some a life. breath. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. A breath of fresh air. And it's also a different dynamic because when we saw these guys originally, they were both baby faces. And yeah. this is, he's a coward, but he's a smart coward. There's more character behind him now. Yeah. He's been through some shit. You, you love him. You hate him. You never forget him. That is true. And surely our main event will be just as good. Um. Because our main event is Hulk Hogan versus Sting for the WCW title. And it's Michael Buffer time. It's Michael Buffer time. We don't always get Michael Buffer anymore, so it's kind of like a little treat when we get him. Yeah, I think now they're just doing for pay-per-views or like massive events and not every Nitro. I mean, as it should be. Like, Michael Buffer is probably a big reason why they're losing so much money. Yeah. And really a big reason for nothing else. Yeah. Like, you're not buying WCW pay-per-views for Michael Buffer. Nope. Get a promo package for this and both men come out and then Bret Hart comes out. According to Michael Buffer, he's just there to wish him, wish them both good luck. Which was weird. Yeah. Juan, was weird for Brett to do that or weird that Michael Buffer knew that's all he was down here to do? Both. I thought that Brett was going to at least take the mic and say something to the both the men, but he just came out and like patted them both on the shoulder and was like, okay, bye. And then he left. Yeah. I don't. It was weird. Yeah. Would you believe it? Slow start to this match with Hulk Hogan. Ugh. Hogan tries to roll up early on, but ends up with Sting all tangled up in the ropes. It's like, yeah, that's why you don't do that, brother. Oh, we did make a um, a prediction prior to this match. Oh, yes. How long until interference? So there was about 20 minutes left in the runtime of the show, which is a long time for one of these matches. I said four minutes. Nick said nine minutes. We both undershot. We were both wrong. Yeah, I, I figured they're going to do a boring Hulk Hogan match for a little while. I did not mm -hmm. expect them to do it as long as they did. They sure did. They trade hammerlocks and Hogan tries some technical wrestling. A lot of this match is them doing the 50-50 match where it's meant to be like, Hogan does something, then Sting yeah. does the same thing. The issue is, 
Hogan will do several somethings, and then Sting will match the last item. It's a lot more 75-25 Hogan to Sting. Yeah, I, I do agree with that. Because, yeah, most of the first half of this match is Hogan just beating Sting down. They do hit a test of strength spot, which Emily just started groaning for. <laughs> Hogan does break it up pretty early on with his knee and then clubbing blows. At least it wasn't a bear hug. Hogan hits a suplex, but Sting immediately gets up and gets fired up. He then hits a seven punch spot, and I'm like, what? No. It's not, it's not the spot. Why? Hogan then punches Sting around the outside and slams him onto the mats. Sting then does similar, but again, it's not quite the same. On the floor, Hogan, you know, top babyface of the company, takes a cable, chokes Sting. Top three babyface of the company. Which just doesn't make sense even for the storyline because they're friends. This is supposed to be a respectful match. Why the hell are you choking your friend out with a cable? We get a back suplex in the ring and slow it back down. Mm. Slow down even more with an abdominal stretch and then a roll up uh. to Sting. Back rake from Hogan. What a face. <laughs> Eight punch spot. Annoying. Getting and then there. and then face biting from Hogan. Again, you're friends. Again, what a face. Running cross body from Sting and then two Stinger splashes. He goes for a third and then but misses and Hogan hulks up. We get a big boot to Sting, and then GDP comes out, hits the ref. And that is at 11 and a half minutes. Okay. Um, just get get ready for a lot here, folks. You can do it, Nick. I believe in you. While the ref's distracted, Hogan hits the leg drop. Ref doesn't see it, and DDP's kind of taunting him. Then get one of the sloppiest diamond cutters I've ever seen to Hulk Hogan. Uh, he then pulls Sting onto Hulk Hogan, but that only gets to two. DDP then gets back in the ring, hits a diamond cutter on the ref. Bret Hart comes out to fight off DDP. Sid Vicious suddenly comes out, <laughs> gets hit with a big boot. That's it for him. <laughs> Lex Luger comes out, apparently with a bat. Didn't even see it. Nope. He eats a big boot. And then Sting has the bat. And Hogan's like, I, I told you this motherfucker was no good. And has his back turned to Hogan while Sting holds the bat. And Sting then hits Hulk Hogan over the back with the baseball bat. Which is meant to be a heel turn, but holy shit, does this get a massive pop. (laughs) (laughs) Was it a heel turn or was it the biggest face confirmation that we've ever seen? Yeah, that was kind of the problem with this Uh is uh, they like Sting more than Hogan. Luger stops Bret Hart from making the save by hitting him with a baseball bat. Hulk Hogan's knocked out, so... Sting locks in the Scorpion Deathlock, and referee Charles Robinson decides that Hulk Hogan has passed out, and we have a new WCW champion for the ninth time, Sting. Luger and Sting then embrace and go up the ramp as we go off the air. Riding off into the sunset. So yeah, Sting heel turn. Holy frick. You did a good job. That was a good rundown. Thoughts on thoughts on the match first? Boring. It's a it's a Hogan match. It's boring as fuck. The ending was chaotic, but not in, in a fun way. It was just like, what's happening? It chaotic. was one of those reminders like, oh, yeah, Hogan has creative control. Exactly. Where the whole world has to come out before he can lose. I don't get why Sid was there. There's no reason for Sid to be there. Sid was there, and then he wasn't, and that yeah. was it. Sid was there, just like, hey, don't forget about me. I'm a big presence. Yeah. No, it, like, there is fun chaos. We've seen fun chaos. This was just... A clusterfuck. This wasn't fun. This was just, I want this to end so I can go to bed. Thoughts on the Sting heel turn? 
I mean, predictable, I guess. Was I don't it, know. Was it for you? Because I, I mean, I kind of could, but I just didn't see where else the story could go outside of that. I knew one of them was going to heel turn, and I didn't know which, but I kind of assumed it wasn't going to be Hogan because he's been doing so much to stay a face. It's actually kind of a double heel turn. Not, not, not in that it's a double turn, in that I guess Luger is just confirmed to also be a heel yeah. now. Yeah. He was already a little shady, but he's like, yeah, no, okay, no, confirmed. I don't know. I wasn't shocked when it happened, is the thing. He hasn't been a heel much. No. I, th- I think this was meant to be a big shocking thing, but... Mm, it wasn't really all that shocking. Yeah. Once you pair up with Hogan, one of you's going bad. Yeah. <sighs> and when you got Hogan back in the red and yellow, you're not going to turn him back to NWO black and white easily. Yeah, and they are kind of in need of a top heel at this point because you already went to the Sid Vicious well. So if Hogan wins and Sting doesn't turn, who does Hogan face next? Yeah. I mean, I guess Brett, but that's they don't want to do face and versus face again. So we'll definitely get a Brett-Sting match, though. That, that has potential. But Brett wants to face... Hogan, and also we have seen Brett versus Sting. I know, but ironically, it was at Halloween Havoc last year. I mean, everything is same shit, different day. But I don't know. It'd be nice to get a new face in there. Yeah, change it up a little. And I guess finally, thoughts on the show? Boring. Yeah. How would you compare this to uh, some of the other shows? Not as bad as I anticipated. I did not want to die. We did it all in one sitting, which at this point says a lot. Like, there were glimmers of candlelight. Like, it wasn't terribly bright, but it was just like, okay. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, when, when you really go through it, the first match was awkward, but wasn't painful to watch. There were a lot of injuries in this pay-per-view overall. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the first match was awkward, but not painful overall. Second match was totally fine with the Cruiserweight title. Totally fine, meaning forgettably fine. Yeah, I mean... The the middle kind of hour dragged a little bit, but then but I like two out of the last three matches a fair bit, and the, the end of that end of the main event was just such a mess that I did laugh a bit. So I, I guess like I guess I got that, some enjoyment out you of it. Chuckled. I guess there's nothing left. Let's... Yeah, I I wish I had more to say about it. I just don't. Again, this just it feels like a nitro. It doesn't feel like a pay per view. Like, do you agree with that? Yeah, a bit. I mean, yeah. there'd be more segments on a Nitro, but I get what you mean. It Like, the 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 scale of it feels very Nitro. Yeah, I just, it's also better. I don't know how much they're even trying right now. Exactly. That's, that's a, a whole other issue. But anyway, yeah. Let's move on to best bit and MVP. Yeah. So, Emily, what is your best bit? I gave it to the only match that gave me a little bit of joy, and that was the DDP and Goldberg match. Yeah, I think I have to agree with you. As much as I liked the Chris Benoit and Sid Vicious match, that one was a better match. Yeah. And Easily match of the night. I guess, Emily, who was your MVP? So I have an MVP and I have an honorary mention. Okay. I'll start with the honorary mention. We didn't mention her, but in the front row... Oh, God. On the, camera, on the hard camera side, there was a woman in a red cardigan who was clearly somebody's mother and... Someone who drove someone to the show. And she just is having the time of her life. Like, she's dressed basically like she's going to a business meeting, but she's got a wrestling show. And she's front and center. She's having a great time, pumping her fist. I call her Red Cardigan Woman. 
So also honorary. taking photos of the rest of us, they're like three inches. Like Booker T is like right in front of her leaning on the, on the apron and she's like, ooh. It's, she's like a proud mom taking pictures at sporting events. It was very cute. So I'm giving her my honorary mention. But my MVP is DDP because he actually came out with some good character work and he was fun to watch. He actually brought some of his own personality into his match. DDP. Yeah, I have to agree with you again on uh, DDP. Yeah. I, he made he made me laugh. You know, I I loved him. I hate him, and I'll never never forget, forget him. him. Bada bing, bada bam, bada bang. <laughs> well, that's it for uh, Fall Brawl 1999. Next up is the Nitro the next night, September 13th. Then after that, we're gonna drop back into ECW with Anarchy Rules 1999. Hell yeah, brother. I'm excited to get back into the world of ECW. But until the next episode, you can listen to all of our back catalog episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. You can also find us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at Butts in the Pod. And on Facebook at the Butts in the Seats podcast. Emily, any uh, closing thoughts on Fall Brawl? The next one, Sting heel turn. <laughs> um, Literally anything. They were in North Carolina tonight. I'm inclined to say they'll be in North Carolina next week. You asked me off the air when is Ric Flair coming back? I mean, Eric Bischoff's now gone. Maybe it's, it would make sense for him to come back soon. I mean, there are just so many people out right now that like there's got to be somebody to come back. Uh, yeah, I just I I don't even really get why he was gone, so that's why I don't know when he'll be back. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for something oh, to they, happen. Oh, they did say they'll be in Raleigh, so oh. they're going to be in North Carolina. That would make sense. All right, well, here's hoping. I just want something to happen. Yeah, well, until something happens, <laughs> I'm Nick. I am Emily. And thanks for listening to the Butts and the Seats podcast. Bye.